The only time I was in India throughout a general election was for the second one in 1957, the first having been in 1952. Independence had only been recently achieved. The towering figure of Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru was still dominant. In every state assembly, the Indian National Congress was in undisputed control. There were so many Marxist parties in West Bengal, from memory roughly a dozen, that the various branches of the Indian Communist Party had not yet worked out how to win a majority of West Bengal Legislative Assembly seats. I gambled that West Bengal would be the first Indian state to go communist, but it was the southeastern coastal state of Kerala which achieved that status. Overall, India took great pride in its stability and its democracy and the expectation that India's independence would serve larger goals. These memories are one reason why the advent of the 16th general election this year has again excited me. First and last, the sheer enormity of the Indian electoral process makes you sit up and take notice. There are 543 contested seats in the lower, more powerful house of the Indian Parliament, the Lok Sabha. In the last election, in 2009, there were 714 million registered voters in 35 states and territories. This year, there are 814 million voters. In the 2009 general election, the electorate contained 41 million more voters than in the previous one in 2004. 24% of the electorate were under 35 years old. 48% were women. I had thought that there were a lot of political parties in 1957, but in 2009 the candidates came from 1,055 political parties, most of which were from a single state or even just part of a single state of the Indian Union. Given the huge administrative and security problems inevitably attached to holding an Indian general election, the nationwide polls have had to be staggered. In 1957, the election period extended over three and a half months from February the 24th to June the 9th. In 2009, the general election took place in five days between mid-April and mid-May, while this year, 2014, it will be spread over nine days in the same period. Curiously, the fastest general election ever held was the famous one in 1977, when Mrs. Indira Gandhi was thrown out of office after trying to impose authoritarian emergency rule. That election took only four days from March the 16th to 20th. There are numerous other statistics of size. In the 2009 election, 6.1 million police and civilian personnel were in charge of a total of 830,000 polling stations. This year, there will be 6 million personnel looking after 930,000 polling stations. One reason Indian elections are not held on a single day is that this will probably require between 30 and 40 million police and civilians to be marshaled. In the 2009 election, 1.4 million electronic voting machines, EVMs, were in use, while this year there will be 1.7 million EVMs in operation. Now, many Indian voters still prefer marking the old ballot papers rather than pressing an EVM button. 
But the successful operation and widespread use of the EVMs is an acid test of India's information technology development. Presumably, the EVMs are the main reason why, as in 2009, so this year, the Indian Election Commission is again confidently predicting that all the 543 election results will be announced on Saturday, May the 16th, a promise which would have been impossible in the not-so-distant days of counting ballot papers by hand. For some observers, the lack of democratic modernization in India is illustrated by the plethora of political parties contesting this and previous elections. But India, it seems, has stood conventional political development on its head. The more normal democratic pattern is that a few large political parties drive small parties to the wall as they come to increasingly dominate the political scene. The normal Indian pattern is the complete opposite. It is the pressure of small and even medium-sized parties which drives the large parties to the wall and the small to medium-sized parties which increasingly influence the political scene. Thus, the former all-India dominance of the Indian National Congress, which I observed in 1957, disappeared in 1977 and has never been completely re-established. The Nehru Gandhi dynasty persists, but it can no longer produce a landslide for Congress by itself. A meaningful two-party system has simply not been established. A complex two-coalition system is developing in its place. This trend was well illustrated in the 2004 election. The two larger parties, the Indian National Congress on the one hand and the BJP, the Bharatiya Janata Party on the other, only just managed to get a majority of Lok Sabha seats between them. In the end, the Congress formed the ruling coalition because it won the most, 145 seats out of the 400 it contested, while the BJP won 138 seats out of the 364 which it contested. In 2004, Congress merely secured 26.5% of the vote overall, while the BJP garnered only 22%. But interestingly, both major parties won 34.4% of the vote in the seats which they contested. When the Congress formed its post-election coalition, the United Progressive Alliance, the UPA, it still had only 218 seats, or 55 short of a Lok Sabha majority. The BJP's coalition, the National Democratic Alliance, the NDA, had only 181 seats. A significant election statistic indicating the diverse power centres in Indian politics was that no less than 10 political parties won over 2% of the vote or more than 8 million votes. 16 parties won over 1% of the vote or more than 5 million votes. Congress finally formed the government with 275 Lok Sabha votes, the UPA coalition of 11 parties with 218 votes, plus pledges of support from three more parties which nevertheless stayed outside the coalition. Whatever the reason, opinion polls and exit polls have a sorry record of getting it wrong regarding Indian elections. In the 2009 Indian general election, they did it again. Prior to the voting, a widespread expectation was that there would be a close fight between the Indian National Congress, 
which have been ruling for the last five years, and the Bharatiya Janata Party, the BJP, which have been ruling for the five years before that. Neither of these two parties was expected to win an outright majority. The close fight would be over which of the two would win the most seats and therefore the right to be the first to try and form a ruling coalition. From the time the voting closed on May the 13th until results began to emerge on May the 16th, another close fight was portrayed by the press as well-nigh inevitable, as close or even closer than the 145 to 138 margin in the last general election in 2004, which brought the Congress back to power. One Indian think tank even produced a quick report giving reasons why a close contest was the inevitable trend of the times. <laughs> but it wasn't. The broad result was that while the Congress further increased its previous lead, the BJP diminished its strength. But having got it wrong on the polls, the Indian and the international media proceeded to frequently get it wrong on the result. After talking the election down and asserting an indecisive result, the election was talked up and made to appear much more decisive than it actually was. Congress was too easily credited with a sweeping victory. Several papers hailed Congress for its landslide. The instant 24.7 media went further, making it sound as if the Congress victory made it the only political party in India that mattered. So the 2009 Indian election ended up being an absolutely perfect example of the modern media's inability to handle complexity. So what was the actual result in 2009? The Indian National Congress emerged as the strongest single party in the Lok Sabha, but it only won slightly under two-fifths of the seats, or 206 seats while the BJP weakened to 116, or a little over one-fifth of the 543 elected seats. Neither major party came anywhere near obtaining a majority by itself. More important, neither 11 political parties in the United Progressive Alliance, the coalition led by the Congress, nor the eight parties in the National Democratic Alliance led by the BJP won a majority in their own right. To be sure, the UPA with 262 seats came close and only needed to incorporate 11 more seats for a bare majority. Given the spirit of opportunism observable in some of the medium to small parties currently outside any coalition, it was not very difficult for the Congress to increase the size of the UPA majority. So when Prime Minister Manmohan Singh finally indicated to President Patil that he should be sworn in on Friday, May the 22nd, he claimed that he had the support of 322 seats, including 60 members from outside the coalition. Put another way, Congress did well by gaining by itself 61 seats over those it won in 2004. But this still did not restore Congress to the electoral dominance which it had enjoyed by itself before 1977. The BJP did poorly by losing 22 seats, but not disastrously since this position is recoverable. But India remains a fractured polity within which coalition building will be both an essential and a very demanding task for the foreseeable future. 
As after the 2004 and 2009 elections, so after the current 2014 election, the most significant statistics will relate to the many diverse power centres in Indian politics. Thus, in 2009, five political parties won 20 Lok Sabha seats or more. Thirteen political parties won nine seats or more. Twenty parties won at least three or more seats. Five parties won only two seats. Altogether, no less than 38 political parties won more than one seat in the Lok Sabha. Reportedly, no less than 13 parties won only a single seat, though I have been unable to check this statistic. Accurate reporting by the media required at least a truncated, better, a complete table of all these complex results. Few, if any, media supplied it. It is fascinating to speculate whether there will be a similar diversity of political parties after the current general election or whether fewer parties will win a larger proportion of seats. Will diversity be significantly reduced? My own guess all along has been that a high degree of political diversity is here to stay. It mirrors the nature and the complexity of Indian politics. Short of some as yet unpredictable but profound national crisis totally enveloping the Indian political landscape, it seems highly unlikely that Congress will resume its old dominance or that the Congress and the BJP will be able to push India towards becoming more of a two-party democracy. Even the most optimistic forecasts of a sweep by the BJP in this current election anticipate it winning only 200 to 220 seats by itself, while the Congress loses around 100 seats in winning roughly 100. In other words, the BJP and Congress will change places compared to the 2009 results. A key question on May the 16th is likely to be, will the BJP be as deft? as the Congress was in 2004 and 2009 in putting together a sustainable coalition majority of the 543 members of the Lok Sabha.